and turn to Daniel chapter 3. As a pastor, I have the privilege and sometimes responsibility of wearing a lot of different hats. I wear the counselor hat, sometimes I wear a business manager hat, sometimes I wear a building facilities coordinator hat, which I am so unqualified for, uh, right? There, there, there's a lot of different things that my job asks of me that I didn't get prepared for in Bible college, that I'm making up sometimes on the fly, and God's blessed me and surrounded me with a lot of good people that I can lean on in a lot of those areas. Last week, I got to wear one of my favorite hats up here on stage. I got to wear the teaching hat. In fact, most weeks when I come up here, I come up here with a teaching hat. Last week, we looked at eight different kinds of prayer that God has ordained for us biblically. I hope you were here. I hope you tuned in. I hope you took notes. There's a lot of really practical stuff in that. The week before, we looked at how to pray, five attitudes and two activities, two actions that we should take when we pray. I got to teach on that, and I love teaching on that. Today, I'm taking off my teaching teaching hat, and I'm putting on a different hat, putting on my preacher hat. This is a fun one to wear, too. Uh, I'm not going to give you a whole lot of practical stuff. In fact, today I got one point. As the series goes on, we'll get practical. We'll give life application. We'll get into some things that we can do. But today I got one point, one thing for you to write down. Hopefully God will give you some other things as I speak that he lays on your heart to write down. Uh, But all we're going to do this morning is we're going to spend a little bit of time in God's word. We're going to have one point, and we're going to preach that point because I am fired up for this. I told you a couple of weeks ago God gave me the vision for this series while I was washing dishes. Uh, Our evening ritual is very exciting in the Southern House. We put the kids to bed. I wash the dishes. Melody folds laundry. uh, And that's how we roll. That's how we party at the Southern House. Uh, And so I'm washing dishes after I put the kids to bed one night. uh, And man, I just start weeping as God just unpacks this principle for me. Now, I'm sure other people have taught this. I'm sure other people have seen this. You may even already have been familiar with it, but this was revelation to me. And so I'm excited this morning to get to share this revelation with you. We're going to look at a story in Daniel chapter 3 that looking around the room this morning, I think most of us have been believers for a long enough time. You've probably heard this story. You're probably familiar with this story. But just in case some of us need a refresher, I want to give you some context uh, on, on the backstory. So what's happening here in the book of Daniel is God's people had been split into two kingdoms. There was Israel in the north and Judah in the south because of their disobedience and rebellion. And Israel, pretty much from the point of the split, was disobedient. They were rebellious. And so God judged Israel, and they were carried off into captivity by the Assyrians. But the southern kingdom, Judah, was a little bit better off. Israel had pretty much nothing but wicked kings. Judah kind of alternated. They have a good king and a bad king. It's like some of us, we got a good day and a bad day. A day we serve Jesus and a day we serve the enemy, right? Like that was Judah. They, they sometimes got it right and they sometimes missed it. And so God, because of his love for David, who, who was the, the father of this kingdom, he spared Judah as long as he could. But eventually even Judah was so rebellious and so disobedient that he had to allow his judgment to come on them as well. And his judgment came in the form of of an empire who conquered them called the Babylonians. Probably heard of the Babylonians. They were centered in a city called Babylon, which at this point in world history, around 598 BC, was the largest city on the globe. It was around 200,000 people. The empire itself was obviously much larger than that. And so the king, whose name was Nebuchadnezzar, everybody say Nebuchadnezzar. We'll have a spelling test at the end of our service today. Just kidding. Uh, So 
we, Nebuchadnezzar had this habit. They would conquer a neighboring kingdom, and in order to get them to submit, in order to get them to assimilate into Babylonian culture, he would actually select from the, the noble families, from the upper-class families, he would select young men and bring them into his government. He thought, hey, if, if we can get some of the natives of your kingdom into our government, then the rest of the people are going to be more willing to listen to us, to follow us, to go along with us. So he carries out his practice with the Jews, with the Hebrews. And he selects a number of young men to bring them into training to serve in his government. We know of four of them. The most famous has his name on the book. His name was Daniel. He's the one who wrote the book. We have a lot of Daniels in our culture. This name has been popular and has been passed down. The other three, on the other hand, we don't have a lot of. They were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Not a lot of Shadrachs running around. I don't know a lot of Meshachs. I've never met an Abednego. Uh, you might be the first to step out and name your child that, but I would encourage you to love your kid more than that. Uh, so somebody named him Abednego. When I was a kid, it wasn't Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. That was the bedtime story, right? Uh, so that was the step that we got to take. So these three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we don't know exactly how old they are. They're, they're young adults of some sort. Um, they play a central role in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel, of course, is famous for a number of things, most famously for not getting eaten by lions. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are famous for a couple of things, but primarily this story we're going to find in Daniel chapter 3. So what's going on in Daniel chapter 3 is Nebuchadnezzar has a problem. His problem was something that many of us share. He had a problem with pride. But unfortunately for Nebuchadnezzar, he had the power to feed his pride. However he saw fit to feed his proud, he pride, he had the ability to do so. And so at some point, Nebuchadnezzar gets an idea, an awful idea, a ridiculous idea, an idea that is completely distasteful in a number of ways. But he decides, I'm going to build a statue of me, 90 feet tall and nine feet wide, and Nebuchadnezzar wanted people to think he was thin, so he builds this tall and skinny statue, 90 feet tall, nine feet wide, and he sends out a memo across his kingdom, across his empire, I want all of my government officials to meet me on the plain of Dura. We're going to meet in this empty space, out in the middle of nowhere, everybody's going to come, and my statue's going to be there, and he gets everybody there, all his government officials, remember, these are people from multiple tribes, multiple cultures, multiple nations, multiple religions, multiple gods. He gathers them all there, and when they get there, he says, look, in a little bit, we're going to play some music. And when the music plays, and why music? Because music creates atmosphere. When the music plays, as soon as it starts, I want you to bow down and worship 90-foot me. And Nebuchadnezzar had so much power, he didn't have anybody in his kingdom who loved him enough to say, this is a bad idea, yo. Uh, this is a bad look, king. Uh, everybody goes along with him, and they start the music. But before they start the music, he says this. He says, oh, by the way, if you decide not to bow down and worship, I've got this furnace over here, and we built a big fire in it. And if you decide not to worship, we're going to throw you in this fiery furnace, and everyone's going to watch you get burned alive. Sound good? Cool. Let's play some music. So he plays the music, and what happens? Probably what would happen today with most of us, everybody bows down. 
Everybody complies. Everybody worships. Everybody says, you know what? If I have the choice of worshiping this statue of Nebuchadnezzar or dying in the furnace, seems like an easy decision. Let me bow down and worship. Everybody that is except for three Hebrew young men. Now, if you imagine the scene, we don't know how many people are there, probably thousands, perhaps tens of thousands. However many it was, it was a big enough crowd that Nebuchadnezzar did not notice three people standing up, right? If, if in this room right now, if everyone sat down except for three of you were standing up, it'd be pretty easy to everybody to know who was standing up, right? I imagine the scene is Nebuchadnezzar standing next to his statue and looking out and receiving all of this praise and adoration to himself. I imagine this just smug, confident, satisfied look on his face, And yet, in the midst of that, as he looks out on all of his subjects, dutifully bowing before and worshiping his statue, he doesn't even notice three people who aren't. There's a lot of people in the crowd for him to not make that realization. But lucky for Nebuchadnezzar, there was some snitches in the crowd. And so people noticed these three young men who didn't bow down, and they came up and they said, hey, king, these guys over here, these Hebrews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, They refuse to bow down and worship your statue. And we'll pick the story up there in Daniel chapter 3, verse 13. What it says here in Daniel 3.13 is it says that furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, and you feel the pride oozing out of his statement here. Is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up. You, you can sense how offended he is. Tell me this isn't true. Tell me this can't possibly be the case that you would dare to defy me. Nobody defies me. I'm Nebuchadnezzar. I'm the most powerful man on earth. And then he changes his tone a little bit. Look at verse 15. He says, now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music... If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. I'm a reasonable king. I'm I'm a king of second chances. You blew it the first time, but I love you enough. I'm going to give you a second chance. Let nobody say that that I'm somebody who acts in rage. Let nobody say that I act, uh, you know, rashly. I'm going to give you another chance in front of the whole kingdom here. We're going to start the music again, and all you have to do is bow down and worship, and we'll just forget this whole thing ever happened. Sound good? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But then he says this. He says, but if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then he makes this horrible statement. The statement of great pride. The statement of great confusion. Of great, he, he doesn't realize what he's saying. He says, then what God will be able to rescue me, you from my hand. He says, I'm more powerful than any God you think you're honoring by not bowing down and worshiping. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the encouragement that it gives us. I thank you for the challenge that it gives us. God, you say that all scripture is breathed by you and that is useful for teaching, correcting, training, and rebuking in righteousness. And so today, God, we ask that if we need to be taught, we would be taught. If we need to be corrected, we'd be corrected. If we need to be rebuked, we'd be rebuked. If we need to be trained, we'd be trained. God, we ask as we study this story and see what you did, that we would be inspired and challenged to something greater in our lives. 
We thank you for what you're going to do with this and through it. In Jesus' name we pray, everyone said, amen. You ever had any what-ifs in your faith walk? You ever had some questions when it comes to following God and stepping out in faith? What if I lift my hands and worship? Will everybody think I'm a hypocrite? What if my friends think differently of me for telling them about Jesus? What if my boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with me because I take a stand that we're not going to live together until we get married? What if I save myself for marriage but I never get married? What if I can't pay my bills because I trusted God in the tithe? What if I step up and serve in Kid City and the kids don't like me? What if I join a city group and people in the group find out who I really am? What if? I think all of us have some what ifs in our faith walk. For me, I'll give you some of mine. Many Sundays, I get up, and here's some of my insecurities that flare up. I wonder, what if this is the day that nobody shows up? What if this is the day when everybody realizes I don't know what I'm doing? What if this is the day when it just kind of all falls apart? What if I get up front, and I enter into worship, and nobody else worships? What if I sit up front, and nobody else sits up front? Pastors get insecure, too. We have these same thoughts that everybody else thinks, right? I have some what-ifs that I bring to the table. Maybe your what-ifs aren't so much about stepping up and doing what God's asking you to do. Maybe you have what-ifs on the other side, what-ifs of temptation, where you know God has forbidden some things, but you question if you should partake in them. What What if I just get a little drunk? Man, maybe everybody else is getting wasted. It's okay if I just get a little tipsy, right? If I just get a little buzz, that's not really a big deal. I'm still standing for God because I'm not doing what everybody else is doing. What if I just look at a little pornography? It's not really that serious. I'm not going to get addicted. I'm not going to get hooked. Nobody's going to know. What if I just clean out my search history? It's not going to affect me. What if I partake just a little? What if I steal this thing from work? Everybody else takes stuff home from the office. What if I take this thing that's not mine? It's, I mean, I already don't get paid enough, right? They, they already don't realize how good of an employee I am. What if I just help myself to this thing? What if? The reality is all of us brought what ifs with us this morning. All of us have what ifs. Now, you may not have given into those what ifs. You may be honoring God despite those what ifs. But all of us in our flesh, all of us in our insecurity, all of us in the temptation the enemy brings towards us carry some what ifs. Your list may not look like mine, but you have a list if you begin to examine your heart. I imagine Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had some what ifs that morning as well. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what's going on in their minds. It only tells us what they do and what they say. But if we could travel back in time 2,600 years, I imagine Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood there as Nebuchadnezzar gave this command, and they wrestled with the series of what ifs. What if he's serious? And I bow down, and I get thrown in a fiery furnace. What if I just bow, but I don't worship? Nebuchadnezzar's not going to know if all I do is bow. He's not going to know I'm not actually worshiping him. If I worship God in my heart, then it can't really be that bad. Surely God doesn't want me to die. 
out here? What if I stand and the other two bow down? I'm the only one who's standing. What if my friends betray me at this most important time and I die alone? What if I end up in that furnace and I never get married? What if I die today and I never experience fatherhood? What if these things happen? I imagine they had a whole series of what ifs. And yet despite the what ifs, they pushed through in faith and they chose something better. Most of you probably know where the story goes. But just in case you don't, we're going to pick it up today in verse 16 of Daniel chapter 3. It says, Daniel, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, replied to Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar said, what God will be able to rescue you from my hands? And they reply, they say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. What are they saying? They're saying there's a higher authority than you. They are insulting direct, this is a direct shot at Nebuchadnezzar's pride. You answer to me, they say, no, we don't answer to you. We don't have to defend ourselves to you. There's somebody greater than you. They say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. Aren't you glad we serve a God who's able? But their faith declaration doesn't stop with God's ability to save. Then they go on to say this, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. So they say, number one, God can. Number two, God will. Those are, those are two separate statements. Sometimes it's easy to have a God can faith, but not a God will faith, right? Well, I know God can do this. I know God has the ability to heal. I know God has the ability to provide this job opportunity. I know God has the ability to provide for me, but we want to push beyond just a God can faith to a God will faith. They had a God will faith. But their faith didn't even stop there. Verse 18, I believe, is the greatest declaration of faith in all of Scripture. Verse 18 says, but even if, everybody say even if. Even if he does not, even if God does not deliver, even if God does not rescue us, even if God doesn't show up, even if God doesn't keep his promise, even if we have to die today, even if we lay down our lives, your majesty, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were human. I'm sure they had some what ifs. But they chose to exchange those what ifs for something better. Instead of what if God doesn't deliver us, what if God doesn't protect us? What if God doesn't come through? They said, even if God doesn't protect me, even if God doesn't deliver me, even if God doesn't come through on his promise, even if it costs me everything, even if I have to lay down my life today, even if I'm going to get burned alive, which has to be one of the most miserable ways to go, even if I'm going to be sacrificed in front of the whole kingdom, king, you need to know I am not going to disobey my God. I am not going to dishonor him. I am not going to step out of his best. I don't care what you do to me. Even if you destroy my life, I'm choosing to honor him. What an incredible faith statement. I told you I have one point for you today, and it's very simply this. It's time to trade my what-ifs for some even-ifs. 
I don't know what your list of what ifs are today. I don't know what things you're, you're wrestling with and confused by. I don't know what statements you're debating, man. Do I need to lay this thing down? What temptations the enemy is drawing you with? What insecurities you brought to the table today? But I believe it's time as God's people to step beyond the what ifs and step in to the even ifs. I believe God is looking for an even if faith today. I believe he's looking for an even if church today. I believe he's looking for an even if generation today. That no matter what happens in the culture, what happens in our nation, what happens in our government, what happens with COVID-19, no matter what happens with the economy, that we have chosen even if everything goes badly, even if everything turns against us, even if everything goes the way I don't want it to go, God, I'm choosing you and your best no matter what, even if. I believe God's looking for someone who would step up and say, even if the world mocks me, I'm not going to bow down to the sin in this culture. Even if my life is so busy, I'm going to choose to serve and help build the kingdom of God. Even if the worship team picks the song that I hate, I'm going to enter in and worship because I don't worship a song. I worship a savior, even if. Even if my family falls away, I'll follow Jesus. Even if nobody else at work loves God, I'm going to let my light shine for him. Even if I have to change how I spend my money and I have to get rid of some things, I'm going to honor God in the tithe because that's what he's asked me to do. Even if I got to wear a mask, I'll still be joyful. Amen? Even if I got to wear a mask, I'll still treat people with kindness. Amen? Even if the government asks some things of me that I don't think are right or that I don't prefer or the politics go a different way, I'm going to choose to be Christ-like even if things don't go my way. Even if somebody sees something different than me politically, I'm going to treat them with respect. Even if everybody else at work gossips about that person, I'm not going to partake. Even if they're right. Right? Even if I'm going to choose God's way even when it's not easy. Even if there's a virus, I'm not going to abandon community with my church family. Even if it costs me everything, I'm going to take up my cross and follow Jesus. Even if none go with me, still I will follow. Even if. God's looking for an even if faith this morning. Could you be that person? Even if nobody else steps up. Even if nobody else answers the call, would you be the one who dares to say, I'll do it? Now, here's what I love about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There wasn't one of them. There was three. We don't know how the story goes if there was just one. Maybe they caved. Maybe they give in. I like to think that they were all in, even if, no matter what. But what did they have? They had community. They had brothers that they could stand with where they found somebody else who loves God enough, who's committed enough that they're going to serve God with the even if faith and we can do this together. We need some people to live out an even if faith with together. Amen, church? We need a community that will serve God even if. We're going to spend the next few weeks unpacking this and looking at a lot of ifs, even stuff outside of what ifs. We're going to look at some if-thens. We're going to look at some other people in Scripture who lived out an even-if faith. We're even going to look at the end of the series at how we can do this. We do this, why? Because we have a God who's an even-if God. See, God says, even if you betray me, I'm going to be faithful to you. Even if you don't serve me, I'm going to love you, right? We serve an even-if God. The reason that we're able to live out an even-if faith is because we serve an even-if God. And we're going to get to that at the end of the series. But I need you to know he's looking this morning for people of an even-if faith. Even if my spouse 
doesn't treat me the way that I think they should, I'm going to treat them with Christ-like love. Even if the people around me don't recognize the gift of God in me, they don't honor me, and they speak negatively about me, I'm not going to speak negatively about them. Even if everything goes the opposite way that I think it should, I'm choosing God's best. I'm going to honor him. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to obey him, even if everything falls apart. I don't want to stand up here today and be doom and gloom, but I think the reality is that things could maybe get worse in our country before they get better. I think the reality is that we could see COVID-19 take another turn for the worse. God forbid, right? I don't want to go back uh, any worse than it is. It's already crazy bad right now. There could be another variant that could get worse. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. But I've decided this, even if everything falls apart, even if the economy collapses, even if the world suffers in a global pandemic from here to the end, even if everything goes the way I don't want it to go, and by the way, I don't think it's going to go that bad, but even if it does, I'm choosing God's best. I'm choosing to be faithful to him. I'm choosing to honor him. I'm choosing to be Christ-like. I'm choosing to walk in the fruit of the spirit. I'm choosing God's way, even if everything goes the way I don't want it to go. Because that's what God's calling me to. And I don't think he's just calling me. Here's my heart, church. I want to even if church. There was three young men who had an even if faith. And if you read to the end of the story, you find out they turned the whole Babylonian empire, the biggest empire on the world, changed because three people had the guts to stand up and say, even if God doesn't protect me, I'm going to honor him. If three people with that kind of faith could change the largest empire on earth, what could a room of this many people, what are we having here, 30, 40 people? What could God do with this? What could we do if we combine with, with first service, which is about the same size, and oh, by the way, three people gave their life to Jesus this morning in first service. What could God do in a church that says, you know what, I'm done playing church? I'm done having one foot in Jesus and one foot in the world. I'm done being complacent. I'm done being lukewarm. I'm done messing around with all these what-ifs and playing around with sin and shying away from what God's calling me to. I'm choosing it even in faith. I don't know what God could do with that. I think he could change a city. I think he could impact a culture. I think it could go even beyond an impact in a city. I believe God could do something incredible, and I believe it's what God is inviting us to and asking us to today. So church, it's time to trade in our what-ifs and grab a hold of something better. It's time to take our what-ifs and lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, I'm laying these things down, God, and I'm grabbing a hold of you. I'm grabbing a hold of your call. I'm choosing to follow you and to serve you even if everything goes wrong because you're worth it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made a decision. They decided that God's glory and God's honor was worth more than their very life. And because of their boldness, because of their conviction, they stood up when the heat was on. When everybody went one way, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went the other way, because they chose an even-if faith over their what-ifs. Would you pray